Election College, Episode 199, Elbridge Jerry, Part 2. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, in the last episode, we talked about the man, the myth, the legend, or something like that. The guy that gerrymandering was named after, Elbridge Jerry. And we're going to continue talking about him on his upward momentum to the vice presidency <laughs> right now. <laughs> Did you like my TV uh, TV infomercial or introduction there? I, it was I very think dramatic. The only way it could have been better is if you would have said "in a world," but in a world, so yeah, okay, I like it too. So, in the last episode, we talked a little bit about how Jerry was against passing the Constitution. He just simply didn't think that there were enough liberties provided to the citizens to really make it an effective Constitution, and so he's actually continuing that opposition. He he posts letters, publishes writings that say, here are my reasons for opposing the Constitution. And one of those things, as we mentioned last episode, was the lack of a Bill of Rights. But he also says, well, you know, I, I would probably accept it if there was some sort of amendment system built into it. And we did have a guarantee that some Bill of Rights were coming. So, you know, of course, he's getting attacked by the people who are very much for the Constitution in its current form. And he's still persevering. You can imagine what it was like for <laughs> Elbridge Jerry. You know, everybody sees him walking into the room. And they're like, hello, Jerry. <laughs> I had to put that in there somewhere. You did. I know. Why not? So in 1788, Jerry gets nominated for governor, but he ends up not winning. He loses to John Hancock, the man, the myth, the legend, the, the other man, the myth, the legend. You know, there's so many man, the myths, the legends, you can't really keep track of them anymore. But after the Constitution is ratified, Jerry's like, you know what? I recant. I'm not opposed to the Constitution anymore. And uh, a lot of other people said, yeah, we want the amendments so I'm cool with it. Let's just do the amendment thing and we'll be all right. Yeah. So he does a lot for the Bill of Rights because he lobbies to include uh, the freedom of assembly in the First Amendment and helped put together the Fourth Amendment, which protects against search and seizure. He wanted to have the word expressly inserted into the Tenth Amendment which would have significantly limited the federal government's power, but that didn't happen. But he did argue against the idea of the federal government controlling a large standing army. And, well, that didn't happen. And if you Google it, you'll see how he felt about the federal government having a big army. Um, this is a family-friendly show, though. <laughs> Jerry also supported some of the reports by Alexander Hamilton when they're talking about public credit, which is interesting because it's, you know, uh, more in line with 
nationalistic big government type ideas. But he really thinks that the Bank of the United States should be formed. He thinks that the government should assume the full value of the state's debts and thinks that the economy should be really centralized. And this is, again, very much different than uh, some of the other positions he held. So it just goes to show you that just because you are on the left side or on the right side or Republican or Democrat or whatever, it doesn't mean you can't have some nuance in your opinions. I think it would do us all a lot of good to remember that you could have some nuance in your opinions no matter what letter comes after your name. Exactly. Speaking of letters after your name, Elbridge Jerry did not like the idea of political parties. So for decades, he remains outside of the camp of being labeled either a Federalist or a Democratic Republican. As a matter of fact, we all know how John Adams and Thomas Jefferson really didn't get along very well at all. And Jerry sought to have good relations with both Adams and Jefferson. Now, in 1792, he did not stand for re-election because he decided to go back and care for his kids because, well, his wife was dying. And uh, so, family first. So President Adams appoints Elbridge Jerry to be a member of a commission that goes over to France in 1797. And there are some you know, issues between America, the the newly formed America, and France. And a lot of this happens after the Jay Treaty was ratified. Uh, this the Jay Treaty we've talked about. We had do we have an episode? We think we had an episode about the Jay yeah. Treaty. Uh, we're almost at two hundred now, Jason. It's hard to remember what we've had an episode on and what we haven't. But the U.S. and Great Britain get together. They make the Jay Treaty, and the Leaders of France see it as an alliance between these folks when France has been standing alongside the U.S. for quite a while, before it was the U.S. even. And they start seizing more and more American ships at this point. Yeah. So what ends up happening with this is you got Jerry, you've got Charles Coatsworth Pickney and John Marshall. They're there in France. France decides, hey, let's uh, have some negotiating going on. And they approached Jerry because he seemed to be the most approachable of the three. And Jerry remains loyal to the United States and to his counterparts, Pickney and Marshall, and does not engage with the French in negotiating any money transfers or any bribes, basically what they were. So, um, yeah, the French threatened war if he left without making any progress in the negotiations, but he stays strong. And what ends up happening is the French and the Americans do not get along very well. So Jerry keeps going at the governorship position you know, the position of governorship uh, in Massachusetts. And Caleb Strong is one of his opponents in uh, the multiple attempts he makes. And he's a really popular guy. He is a Federalist. And Massachusetts, if you weren't aware, was pretty strongly Federalist at that time. And there's a, a shift towards the Republican Party, but, you know, 
all things equal, the Federalists still pretty much rule the roost. Jerry doesn't really have a whole ton of support in 1804. And so he decides not to run and he decides, hey, I'm going to kind of retire. Maybe I'll still hang in there. Uh, But I've got this personal financial crisis I need to deal with. My brother, Samuel Russell, uh, well, he has really screwed up in his own business affairs. And Jerry was like, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and make sure that you're able to continue doing business. I'll give you a loan. And it'll be due in, oh, I don't know, 1804. And his brother doesn't pay. Jerry's out all that money and also kind of semi-retired. So Jerry's finances just continue to dwindle at that point and kind of really screws him up. Yeah. (laughs) So what ends up happening in 1807 is the Republicans win the governorship. Um, But what happens is there is a shift back to the Federalists in 1809, and that was Christopher Gore who won. Now, Jerry comes to be elected in 1810 against Gore. He wins narrowly, and he does this by benefiting from the Republicans who casted Gore as a British-loving Tory who wanted to restore the monarchy. After all, his parents were loyal to the monarchy during the revolution. And Jerry was casted as a patriotic American. And uh, the Federalists called Jerry a French partisan and Gore as an honest man. So you've got this back and forth, you know, who are you really loyal to, the French or the English? And Jerry's like, dude, I'm an American. And uh, did you just see an American flag draped behind him, Ben, when I just said that. (laughs) Anyway, so so where it gets really interesting with this stint as Jerry being the governor is that in 1812, the state of Massachusetts adopts a new constitutionally mandated electoral district boundary list. And the Republicans created these boundaries designed to enhance their party's control over state and national offices. So that's where the dragon comes in because <laughs> Jerry was not happy about the highly partisan districting, but he's like, you know what? I want to be friends with some people. So there you have it. Gerrymander. Yeah. And if you don't know what Jason's talking about when he keeps saying the dragon, uh, just Google the word gerrymander And I guarantee you'll find a picture. Uh, One of the first results, one of the first image results will be the picture of this dragon. And we did an episode on it before. So go back and listen to that if you prefer. So all of this really hands him a bad reputation because there's a libel investigation going on. There's the War of 1812. He's getting some bad press and he loses in 1812. And, well, you know about the financial difficulties. And what happens is Elbridge Jerry runs to his friend, James Madison, to say, Hey, buddy, um, are there any federal jobs available? Yeah, and the Democratic-Republican Party chooses him to be Madison's vice presidential running mate in the 1812 election. And 
this, you know, he's kind of a safe choice because he'll really attract the Northern votes. But on the other side, he also won't really pose much of a threat to James Monroe, which everybody is pretty certain. Yeah, James Monroe is going to su- succeed Madison. So Madison gets re-election. Jerry takes the oath of office. And it's kind of funny because, you know, uh, being the vice president doesn't really mean a whole lot at this point in history. And uh, really, it just means he gets a nice paycheck for a while. Yeah. So as you know, it's not cool to be a vice president in the early 1800s. It's not (laughs) cool um, to be James Madison's vice president, especially. And in 1814, he falls ill and he goes back to his house there in Washington, D.C., and he dies. And get this, Ben, he is the only signer of the Declaration of Independence who is buried in Washington, D.C. Uh, when all is said and done, Jason mentioned his brother had some uh, debts that he needed to pay off, and Elbridge works. He gives the money to his brother. His brother doesn't pay him back. He gets in worse financial shape. He goes and runs and becomes the vice president. And he ends up using that money to repay his brother's debts, which he had already paid for once with the money he had given him to begin with. So uh, even up to the end of his life, he is pretty poor in cash and still paying off his brother's debts, which kind of ruined him in the beginning. Yeah. Hey, get this, Ben. His wife, Anne, she lived until 1849. And she was the last surviving wife of a signer of the Declaration of Independence. It doesn't seem too long ago. Like, 1812, 1814, that seems like a long time ago. But 1849, that doesn't seem like that long ago for some reason. No, it doesn't. And then and then at the same time, when you think about the Civil War, when you think about the Civil War being in the 1860s, you're like, wow, that was forever ago. This Because it, it's such a, a different atmosphere politically and and you know not politically than we're used to we're we're literally standing up with what we would now call primitive weapons and shooting across the field at each other but yeah 1850 doesn't seem all that long ago 1864 seems like centuries ago it is kind of bizarre yeah hey you know what's kind of bizarre ben what's that we've had listeners for almost 200 episodes who have not left us a rating or review in iTunes. Now That's crazy. is your chance. And this is like the, the two-year <laughs> anniversary, too, of, of the show. Yeah. I forgot to celebrate, but yes, next month we will be celebrating two years. That's absolutely amazing. It is. Yeah, so if you haven't left us a review, why don't you go over to iTunes, leave us a review. We really appreciate it. The future listeners need it. Do it for the children. I'm going to give you as many corny (laughs) lives as I can. Just leave us a review. We would really appreciate that. Hey, and speaking of leaving uh, something for the children, uh, for just 11 cents an episode, you can help support the podcast by going to electioncollege.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, where you can help us offset some of the costs of hosting the podcast. Yeah, and we love interacting with you over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or really anywhere you find us. Uh, Check us out at Election College. You can find us pretty much anywhere. 
We really enjoy the discussions we have, and sometimes you guys send us articles, you invite us cool places, you call us dough faces, whatever you want to do. Uh, we appreciate it in some weird way. Yeah. I'm, my heart is beating very fast and deep when I think of somebody calling me a dough face. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and we will see you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.